morning. Got a little deal here I'd, before I read the text. I'd, I'd like to read it. It's uh, written by. Uh, it's written by a young man I admire quite a bit, just because of what he's doing and what he's done. It's uh, Colin Masters. This is called Ragged Old Heart. Torn and worn at the seams from times past, but it still pushes on. It's bruised and rough around the edges from being tossed around, but it still keeps its form. It's a little slower and not as loud as the day before, but it keeps time and it still beats like the thunder. Yeah, this ragged old heart is seen and dealt with a lot, oh Lord but it's still full of love for you. And so, Lord, I give you my ragged old heart to have and to hold forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you've got your Bibles, uh, and turn to John chapter 21, the first verse where we're going to start. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. Now when Simon heard, Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you've just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. Although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they would eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, 
Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Most assuredly I say to you, When you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you will, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remains till I come, what's that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? This is the, this is the disciple who t- testifies these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Lord, on this blessed, blessed day, Lord, we thank you for your word. You've given us... You've given us so much, Lord. You've given us the way to walk. You've given us everything. Father God, what little we can give you back is is nothing, but we will give you our attention. And Lord, we ask that you let your Holy Spirit come down and fill this place. And fill our hearts today with your word as, as our pastor explains it to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going fishing. That sounds like a good plan, doesn't it? <laughs> we all pile in. You know, it's, it's interesting because as we come to this This particular story is one of my favorite stories out of the Bible. And when we look at it, you know, we've seen the resurrection. We talked about that this morning at sunrise. We we saw the Lord meet Mary right where she was at when she needed a word from him. We've seen John come to faith prior to seeing the, the body of Christ. Then Jesus appears to all the disciples, but Thomas missed it. And then 
Jesus appears when Thomas is there. You guys remember, right? And Thomas said, I, unless I see with my eyes, I'm not going to believe. Unless I can touch him with my fingers. So Jesus appears and, and he says, all right, Thomas, here I am. Touch. Feel. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas declares, my Lord and my God. And then the Lord is gone. And their relationship had radically changed. I just don't want you to miss the fact that, that they were with Christ every day for three years. For three years every day, they woke up when he woke up. They ate breakfast together. He'd go off to pray. You know, they'd sit around and argue about who was the greatest. He'd come back, catch them arguing. They'd talk a little bit about how dumb it is to argue about that stuff. And, and then they'd go about and they'd heal people and they'd minister to people for three years. But now everything's different. Now, we're, let's, let's just, for, for the sake of argument, say we're on day five. Day five. So, Jesus died, was buried, was in the ground three days. Rose. Everybody's excited. Thomas misses it. Next day, Thomas sees it. Sometime that, that following evening, or that evening of that day, Peter looks at all his friends and he says... I'm going fishing. What do you think is wrapped up in all that? I'm going fishing. Don't, don't lose sight of who Peter is. What's Peter's last five days been like? What, what, what was his week like? You know, he went from the heights of saying, Lord, no matter what happens, I'll never deny you, right? And he was all tough when they arrested him, took a sword and chopped the dude's ear off. My, I ain't never done that. You guys chopped anybody's ear off lately? I mean, maybe he had lousy aim and he ain't no good with a sword, but by golly, he, he gave the old college try, no? A couple inches further over and we got a mess. But then a little slave girl trips him up. And he probably enters into a pretty dark time. I don't know if you guys can relate. A dark time where, where he felt like, you know, I, I let God down. I, I, can't, I can't be who God wants me to be. I can't do what God wants me to do. And So he's there at all these events, you know, but I don't think he's there. You know what I mean? He's just distracted. And I don't know if you realize this, but every time that, Twelve disciples are named in the Bible. You know whose name is first? Peter. Think there's any pressure associated with that? Number one, hombre. He was more than happy to tell you he was number one too. But not anymore. Now some things have changed. It says in verse 1, and So after Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, he, re- he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, that's Thomas Didymus, uh, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, two others of his disciples were together. So we got seven guys. Seven out of twelve were blue-collar fishermen. Now, in, in their culture, you know, that's, that's like being a construction worker maybe today, or, or in our neck of the woods, maybe being a farmer. He, they were, that was just the, the, Real people of the community. That's who they were. At the Sea of Galilee, yeah, we fish. That's what we do. And so you have seven fishermen. But you remember, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus called them. Jesus said, 
I'm, I'm calling you guys out and I'm going to make you a what? Fisher of men. Now, he was, they were fishers of fish. I don't know if good or bad, right? Depends on the day. But they were fishers of fish. Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Why did he pick seven out of twelve to be fishermen? Were they specially courageous or brave? Are they more dedicated than somebody else? Maybe they're better able to take orders. I don't know. I think Jesus just picks normal people. And I think sometimes we think that he, he picks somebody special. There's some special anointing or special gift or special ability. And that maybe God doesn't pick me. But I just want you to see 7 out of 12 was just everyday, ordinary, down-home guys who were given 15 minutes without supervision and decided, I'm going fishing. So they go. All seven of them joined together with him. He said, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got in a boat. But that night they caught nothing. I had not a lot of nights like that. I don't know. You guys know? Any fishermen? Fisherwomen? Sorry. I know I get in trouble every time I say that. They are out all night. All night. Now, maybe somewhere in the back of their mind they're thinking, okay, I can go back. I can go back to being a, a fisherman. I'll go back to making a living, right? They've got to live somehow. I've got to figure this thing out. Jesus is gone now. Well, what's, well I, I did three years. I, I, I dedicated three years to that, but he's gone. What do I do now? I've got to do something. So, so the first night of going back to work, that's a little rugged, no? You, catch no, you know you don't get paid if you don't catch no fish, right? What happens if you plant corn and it don't grow? Yeah, nobody pays you, right? Unless you got insurance. They didn't have insurance back then. So back then, you didn't catch fish, you, that's it. You don't eat. You don't catch fish, you don't eat. So look what happens. It's, it's important because Jesus had told them, John chapter 5, they're, or John 15, they're on their way, walking over to finishing up the Last Supper and going to the, the Garden of Gethsemane, right, where Jesus prayed. And as they're on their way, they pass by the temple, and the disciples are looking at the temple, look how great this temple is. And Jesus said to them, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, he who abides in me will bear much fruit. But he who does not abide in me bears no fruit. Why? Because without me you can do nothing. They didn't catch no fish. These men are called. guys. The Bible says the giftings and callings of God are irrevocable. You don't get to mess it up and God just lets you off the hook. And says, okay, I'm not going to use you no more. You need to know that God has more patience than we have for each other, right? You get burned by somebody once, maybe you'll get burned by them twice. Maybe in a big stretch you get burned three times. At some point, you say, that's it. I'm done. But God don't do that. God doesn't give up. God doesn't quit on his people. But he told them, you can't do nothing without me. You're going to need to be connected with me. So it says in verse 4, just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. You know, every time he comes post-resurrection, people have a hard time recognizing him. You wonder why that is? I don't know. I, I got grandkids. 
soon as they get in my lap, they try to pluck out my beard. I'm not too excited about that. I don't know where that game got started, but it's less fun. So, maybe from having his beard plucked out, they said they ripped his beard out of his, out of his face. I don't know, does that scar you? Certainly the scourging and the things that he faced. And the, and the Bible says in Isaiah that he was broken more than anybody's ever been broken. So I don't know what picture you can have of, of someone that you've seen physically broken. But the Bible says he was more. But, but there's, it wasn't just so that he could one-up everyone. The point is he's taking the brokenness of all of us. He takes upon himself our brokenness, our, our inadequacies, our struggles, our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. He took our brokenness and he gave us wholeness. So when the Bible says that by his stripes we are healed. That word in Hebrew, that word healed is made whole. He completes us. He, he, he unites us together where we need to be in him. So we see this, the, the beauty of this reality that Jesus is everything that we need. Everything that, that we might lack, it's all wrapped up in Him. And apart from Him, there's no thing that we can do. So just as day is breaking, they see Jesus. They don't recognize Him. And Jesus said to them, children, have you caught any fish? That's the first time in the history of mankind a fisherman told the truth. We don't never say, did you catch any fish? No. Say, well, I had a few on. But it's never just, nope, no fish. But for whatever reason, these guys are being honest. They say, no. So he said to them, cast the net on the other side. Now, fishermen may understand this. You ever been in a boat and you're, maybe you're trolling, trolling around on a lake. And as you're trolling, the fellow on the other side of the boat is catching fish. And you start to think, I need to be on that side of the boat. But in reality, you know where all that stuff is, right? When you're trolling, all that bait is behind the boat. Right? Maybe a couple of feet apart. I know, I get tangled up in them all the time. We can't be that too far apart. But he's catching the fish. and when It, 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 it boggles my mind when we start to say things like, oh, I'm just going to go on the other side. Take a net, for example. Throw a net off the left side of the boat. Jump in the water and look. Then here comes the net under the boat, huh? Now swim up, pull the net up to the top of the boat, throw it on the other side. What do you think happened? You think the net was suddenly somewhere where the fish were? You get under there and that net's coming down the same place? What's different? Without Christ, they can't do anything but with Him... There's nothing they can't do. He says, throw it over on the other side. They throw it over on the other side. And they catch fish. Now, for all of them, all of a sudden alarms start going off in their head. Why? Because this story has a mirror story when they were first called by Jesus to follow him. He taught at the Sermon on the Mount. He said, put out the boat a little ways and we'll have a catch. And Peter says, Lord, we've been fishing all night. Ain't caught nothing. 
But nevertheless, at your word, we'll go. So they go out, they throw the net, they haul in so much fish, they got to bring a couple boats over to drag the fish over to the shoreline. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, depart from me. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says to him, Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You follow me. So here they are out fishing. Jesus is gone, you know, they, they don't see him like they used to see him. And now they're gathered together, they're, they're fishing, not catching anything. And this fellow on the shore says, throw the nets on the other side. So they do and catch fish. Now immediately, there's a bunch of bulbs going, ding, 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 ding. Hey, we've seen this all happen before. So this is the craziest part of the story and one of part of Peter's craziness. You know, they fish in their underbritches. I don't know how else to say that. They, there's worse ways, I suppose, but they're, they're fishing, they're fishing in their underbridges, and so they're out there fishing, and they haul in these fish, and all of a sudden, John looks over at Peter and says, it's the Lord. And Peter turns around, gets dressed, jumps in the water, and swims to the shore. And I have always thought, that is crazy. But apparently he did not want to show up on the beach in front of Jesus in his underbridges, so he put on his outer cloak, and he tied it up, and he dove in. You know what else is interesting? Careful reading of the text tells us that they both get there about the same time. You ever been in a hurry to do something, and it took you longer than you thought? Peter jumps in, swimming in the boat, and Peter get to the shore about the same time. Only one group is a lot wetter. Than the other group, right? But Peter's excited. He wants to see Jesus, right? He still has that fire. But he don't know where he belongs. He don't know where he belongs. We can tell it by the time he gets there. Look what it says. So it says, they cast it. They caught this huge quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it's the Lord. So Peter heard it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment that he stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciple came in the boat. Dragging a net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. So then it says in verse 9, When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it. Now, I don't want you to miss this. That's why Peter didn't know what to do. Peter's all excited and he wants to see the Lord and he gets to the beach and he, and he comes running up. But there on the beach is a charcoal fire which forever is etched in his mind. Because the last charcoal fire was about five days earlier. And a little ways off in the distance, Jesus was being beaten. And Peter couldn't stand. He denied the Lord and fell. So he comes running up and sees that fire. You know that's flashing. He's not thinking breakfast. He's thinking, man... I don't, know if I, I don't know if I want to be around that fire. I don't know if I want to be here. So Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. 153 of them. Do you know that there are commentaries filled with all kind of crazy ideas about why there's 153 fish? Some of them say it's because there's 153 different kinds of fish. So that's why he caught 153 fish. Some 
some, there's some kind of weird prime number mathematic thing I could not understand at all. I read it like four times. Still did not understand what they were saying. Something about an equilateral triangle times 17. And there's, once they got to like three levels of this equation, I was like, what? So I kind of think it means they caught 153 fish. <laughs> Are you guys okay with that? It's like, wow, I've got to prove my existence somehow. Yeah, I need to decide why there's 153. I just think it's because that's how many they caught. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. So Jesus said to him, come have breakfast. But listen to this phrase. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. But you get, these are guys that were with him every day for three years. You get there's something different, right? There's just something different. I don't know. Look, here's what Paul says. Paul says that the seed that is planted is different than the plant that comes out of the ground. In the same way, the body that is buried, like a seed, is planted, but that which comes forth in the resurrection... You know, you're not the meat you wear, right? You go deeper than that, don't you? I mean, you're deeper than your hair, you're deeper than your style, you're deeper than all of that. There's more to you than just that stuff. And I think that's what Paul's saying. In the resurrection, there's something different. Now, I don't know what that means. People always ask me this question, Jackie, we get to heaven, we know each other. And I say, yes, we will not be dumber in heaven than we are on earth. We still know each other. The Bible says we're going to know like he knows us. We're going to know. Right? That's pretty intimate knowledge. It's awesome to consider this, this beauty that we will have in Christ. So here we have this, this breakfast, but they don't recognize him. So whether it's because he looks totally different in a resurrection body, maybe, I don't know. But there's something about who he really is, they get who it is. You know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, they just know this is Jesus. Now maybe it's the scars. Maybe the only man-made thing in heaven is the scars that Jesus wears. Uh, certainly the Bible says in Revelation chapter 5, we look at the throne, and the throne there is the lamb as though it had been slaughtered. So you see the, this vision of Jesus in heaven described as a lamb that had been slaughtered. There's, maybe there's still those scars that he bears. Something is about Jesus that people don't, recognize right out the gate right for mary it's not until he says her name miriam for the guys on the road to emmaus remember the guys on the road to emmaus they don't recognize him until he breaks bread when he breaks the bread must have been something about the way he broke bread when they when they prayed for their meals that all of a sudden their eyes were open and they're like that's jesus and he was gone so here we don't know it doesn't say but they they they're, you know the disciples were not one to ask a question and look dumb right they thought questions all the time. It was, they should be thankful that Jesus would answer their thoughts. Because a lot of times they wouldn't ask the question they need to ask. So Jesus would answer the thought they were thinking. But they didn't ask him. They knew it was the Lord. So Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to him, And so were the fish. So this is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he raised the dead. So here he is. He's feeding the disciples. <coughs> so we... We begin 
with this idea of let's go fishing. But as they're fishing, Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, anytime Jesus shows up in anything we're doing, the next thing that's going to happen is restoration. Jesus shows up, the dead are called to life again. You know that, right? When Jesus shows up, he empowers people to to be and to do what it is that he has called or expected for them to be able to be or to do. So here we have the restoration, the restoration of seven disciples. They're all there. They're all gathered. They're all having breakfast with Jesus around a fire. But there's one of them that's kind of sitting back. He used to sit up front. But now he's sitting in the back. He's just happy to get a little fish. Because his last memories, according to the Gospel of Luke, when he denied Jesus the final time, the Bible, the Bible tells us that Jesus looked at him. So he's, wherever he's denying him, he can see. And the Bible tells us that what they're doing at that time is just messing with Jesus, beating him, you know, doing, doing their thing, killing time until crucifixion. And Peter sees him and Jesus looks right in his eyes. And then the Bible says, Peter ran and wept bitterly. Because he so much wanted to be able to stand. So much wanted to be able to make a stand for the Lord. So at breakfast, as they're sitting around, it says in verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What do you think he was pointing at? wasn't that long ago, you know, five, six days earlier, they're having the Last Supper, and they were arguing about who was the greatest, remember? And I think Jesus is pointing at the other disciples, remember? He said, Lord, even if all these guys mess up, I'm not going to do it. You ever done that? I won't do that. I would never. Don't say them words, man. Last I checked, you still are a homo sapien. I'd be careful how I say that. <laughs> I had to think about it for a minute. <clears throat> be careful, this is church. You're a homo sapien, you're man. You're a human being. We all have one thing in common. We're screwed up. If you're pretty sure you're not, you probably need to spend a little time looking in the mirror and listening to your own voice. Because I promise you've had this conversation with you before. We're a mess. Who makes us whole? Jesus does. Who makes us right? Jesus does. Who makes us complete? Jesus does. That relationship with Him, whereby we put off our brokenness and receive His wholeness. Where we put off our sin and receive His righteousness. So that's what the Word of God declares. So they finish breakfast. They're sitting there. And he says to them, Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than all these guys? That you said around a fire not that long ago. Peter, do you love me? And you probably heard, if you've, if you've been going to church much, you probably heard <clears throat> some sermons on this section of Scripture. I know I've taught some. And... There's two different words used for love. The first one is agape, which is usually described as the love of God, although really what it is is a love that sacrifices itself for the need of others. And the other word is phileo, which is a, a word of friendship, 
a word of friendship and a, and a word of love. And that's true. Those two different words are being used. But what we discover, that we spend a little bit of time in context and in <clears throat> Greek language, is it's not an improper response. If asked, do you agape to respond with I phileo? It's not improper. It's not improper. Well, Jackie, what do you mean? Well, look, here's what he's asking him. Jesus is asking him when he says, do you love me? Will, will you... Love me for the sake of meeting my needs. And Peter's response to him is to say, basically, I will adopt your, your concerns as my friend. I, I want to follow your interests. I'm, I'm with you. So on the one hand, Jesus is saying he's asking for a, truly a self-sacrificing love, but Peter's response is, yeah, I want to be doing what you're asking me to do. But it's quick. And it's easy. So Jesus, don't leave it there. He says, do you love me? Peter responds, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, then feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Bosque. Bosque is a Greek word. The Greek word there for feed is also used as a, as a word for instruction. Teach my lambs. Teach my little ones. Right? When Jesus gave the Great Commission, what did he say? Go into all the world, make disciples of how many people? A few people, only certain people, only the people we like. Go make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in a singular name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Triune God. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them the things... Jesus said, I have commanded you. Teach them about me. And then he tells them, lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. So he gives this instruction, go, teach. So he's telling Peter, who used to be number one, right? Or at least in his own mind. And I think as far as God's concerned right now, he's still number one. Who gives the first sermon ever preached? Isn't that Peter? Yeah? The first 3,000 converts, who that come from his message, Peter's message? What about the next 5,000? Who was preaching that one? You mean Peter preached two messages and 8,000 people got saved? That's pretty good, no? I don't know too many fellows that can pull that off. But Jesus said, apart from me, you can do. But with me, you can do everything, right? All things can be done. So... He tells them, feed my sheep. I want you to instruct, to teach them. In 1 Peter 5.2, we see that Peter understood this. In 1 Peter 5.2, Peter said, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Shepherd them. Take care of them. Take care of them. That idea is going to be developed a little more as we go forward. Verse 18. Uh, well, actually, let's back up. Verse 17, he says, he, he, or 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he said to him, tend my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. You got the easy part over with now. You get that? The ladies probably need to listen. This is the easy part. What's the easy part? Saying the words. Yeah? You understand what I'm saying? A lot of guys can say the words. You need a guy that can do. I 
Yes, do you love me? Yes, I love you. That's great. The easy part's over with. The hard part's coming. He says to him, Peter, do you love me? Peter responds, yes, I love you. I love you, Lord. And so he says to him this next word. He says, tend my sheep. The Greek word for it is pomain. Pomain is the word shepherd. So first he tells him, feed, instruct, teach my, my lambs, the little ones. And then he says, shepherd them. Now, shepherding is all the other stuff. Shepherding is when you take them from place to place. You make sure they get where they need to go. You make sure they get to water when they need water. You make sure they're not eating something they shouldn't eat. You're watching over the flock. That's what it is to shepherd. And so he tells Peter, shepherd. Shepherd them. Shepherd them. Take care of of what's going on in their life. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said the third time. Now this time, Jesus uses the same words. He, he says to Peter, Peter, do you phileo? Peter says, he's grieved in his heart. Why? Why is he grieved in his heart? Because in the, I don't think it's that part that he's going to say that's so important. I think it's the other thing that he says. Look at it. Peter was grieved in his heart when he said the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know, what's that word? Everything. But he's getting... He gets Peter to crack. Lord, you know everything. What's, what's, in that, what's wrapped up in that word? You don't think that Peter, for five days earlier, is saying, Lord, you looked right at me when I did it. You don't think wrapped up in that word that you know everything is, I failed, I messed up, I said I was going to be something different, and I ended up being just another person. Just another guy, just another one who screws up. So Jesus asks him three times, gets him to that place where he says, Lord, you know everything. You know it all. You know me better than I know me. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Twice he's told to instruct both little ones and the older ones. And, and once he's told shepherd them, watch over them, protect them, take care of them like a shepherd. Now that he knows what that is, because in John chapter 10 we have this discussion of the good shepherd, right? What does it mean to be the good shepherd? When Jesus says to Peter, shepherd them, what's he asking them to do? He says a good shepherd does what? Gives his life... For the sheep. So what's Jesus asking him to do? Peter. Man. When Jesus bids a man come. He bids him come and die. He bids him come and die. That's why the very first thing we do after we come to salvation is baptism. Why? Because it symbolizes the truth of what has happened in our life. We are dead to the old life. We are dead to ourselves, and what? Alive to God. We died together with Christ and we're raised from the water. A new creation created in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ready to do the things God has called us to. It's symbolic of what has already taken place, right? When Jesus bids a man come, he bids him come and die. He's saying, man, I need you to be a good shepherd, Peter. 
I need you to be a good shepherd for the sheep. I don't. I, I need the guy who denied three times. I need that guy to have died. And I need a new Peter. I don't. I don't know how long ago it was. I'm old and I start to forget numbers. But a long time ago, my wife in a trailer in Midway Park, uh, Jacksonville, North Carolina, prayed that prayer for her husband. She said, Lord, I need a better husband or a better Jackie. You need to fix him. And if you knew me then, and you know me now, you wouldn't recognize me. Why? Well, I don't know that I look all that much different. I'm a little fatter than I was in the Marine Corps. I'm a little, I'm a little more plump. Is that a better word? I don't think that's a better word. That sounds worse, actually. <clears throat> um, but now I have Christ in my life, and then I really didn't. And now Jesus has made a difference in me so that I'm not the person I once was. And it's not something I did, it's something that He did, right? Something that Jesus Christ accomplished in me. So here you have Jesus saying to Peter, I need a new Peter. Now what is it to be saved? That's just what it is. We die to ourselves. And we are raised new. A new creation created in Christ Jesus. That's what is happening with Peter right now. I need a new creation created in Christ Jesus. I need you to be new. And if you're new, I want you to feed the lambs. I want you to instruct the little ones. I want you to shepherd, watch over everybody. And I want you to feed the older ones. I want you to make sure everybody gets what they need. Peter, will you take care of this? So Peter says, yes, Lord. Yes, that's what I want. I don't know if I'm able, but it's what I want. So look at verse 18. Jesus prophesies. And he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. Look what the verse says. This he said to show him by what kind of death he would glorify God. So God said to Peter, I like it because God's telling Peter, you're going to be able to do it. You ever feel like God's called you to something that you're not able to do? But what God is saying to Peter is, look, not only have I called you to this, but you're going to be able to do it. Why? Because without me, you can't catch no fish. But with me, you get 153. Without me, you're not going to have any success. But with me, you're going to have success. With me, you're able to do all things. You can do all of this, Peter. You can accomplish it all. So he tells him. That's what he's saying. He's not, it's not God being mean. God's telling him what he wants to hear. The men are wired different, ladies. I don't know if you knew that. They, they don't often want to go see uh, chick flicks. I don't know, is there a better way? Romantic comedies. Hallmark Channel. No guy has a Hallmark Channel. <laughs> You, don't, you go home and a, a look at the man's remote, and a man's remote is not wore out on Hallmark Channel. No, that's not, just not the way it is. Every man wants to be the hero in the story. Every man wants to be able to, 
to rescue the damsel in distress. Every man wants to be proven faithful all the way to the end. No man anywhere on the face of the earth wants to be the guy who gets all the way to the end and quits, denies, loses it all. Nobody wants that. So Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, that's going to happen when you're old. Now, I don't know what old means. I don't know when old is coming. Depending on who I ask. A lot of folks think I'm old already. I, I, I remember thinking 50-something was really old. 50-something, not so old no more. <laughs> then, then, I, then I was thinking, man, 70, 70 is old. I'm starting to think that's not all that old neither. I was out with a guy hunting elk. This has nothing to do with study, but we'll get right back. I was out, I was out hunting elk with a fella who is, I won't say how old he is, very old. <laughs> and and I, I swear, he's, he's got to be like 15 years older than me. And he is, goes up a mountain like a billy goat. I'm like five, seven steps and breathing. <laughs> I'm watching you fellas. I see some of you guys laugh. I'll take you on that mountain too. <laughs> I'm a huffing and a puffing. That f- Man, he just... Wh- so sometimes maybe 52 is older than 68 or whatever. You know, it's, I guess it's just a number. But Jesus is telling them, Peter, when you get in your old age, you're going to, you're going to finish your life the way you want to. And that's encouraging. I, I want to know I'm going to finish. Don't you want to know? Don't you want to know that your life is going to matter? Yes. It's going to make a difference that people are going to be, that, are, that people are going to be affected, that, that your mark that you left, the footprint you left behind was just not worthless. And all that happens when we are engaged in, in other people's life. Listen to how Peter talks about this in, in 1 Peter 4. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. When it comes upon you to test you as though something strange is happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are able to share Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's Peter. Peter's like, ah, don't sweat that stuff, man. That's good. When, that, when those things happen, those things are, are positive. They tell you you're going to be okay. They tell you you're going to make it, that you're on the right track. So what's the last two words that Jesus says to him? He tells him how he's going to die, and then he looks at Peter and he says, just like he started, we're right back to the beginning. Peter, I still want you. Follow me. Now Peter's got a choice, right? He's got 153 fish over there on the beach. What are you going to do, Peter? Well, we know what Peter did, don't we? He followed him. The most important question that we're ever going to answer is with that question with Jesus is he looks at us. Every one of us, Jesus looks at us and he says the same thing. Follow me. Follow me. And he's looking for that response. A response that says, yeah, I'm going I'm to follow you. Well, none of us are perfect. None of us are going to get it right all the time. But the desire of our heart is the desire of our heart to follow Him, to be with Him, to go with Him. 
So Peter says, yes. And I kind of picture it like this. You know, we're back at the, at the beach and they're having breakfast. And Jesus has been talking to Peter. And he says, Peter, follow me. And I think Jesus even gets up. And he's going to take Peter on a little walk, you know, over to the Sea of Galilee. Peter, follow me. And so Peter gets up and on his way, you know, he just heard that, that he's going to be crucified. You know, that's how Peter dies, right? So, so I'm going to be crucified. And as he's walking by, he sees John. And he's a little curious. So he says, Lord, how's he going to die? And Jesus said, man, don't worry about him. Don't worry about him. Jesus says about him, look, if I want him to stay alive until I return, what's that to you? Peter, you do what? Follow me. Peter, you follow me. What's he saying in that is, look, don't worry about others, both for goodwill or badwill. We got our own problems, don't we? Don't, you guys got so few problems, you got to worry about other people's? I'll give you some of mine. I'm an equal opportunity uh, problem sharer. I'll share some of my problems. No, my wife was up here talking about, oh, she is so Pollyanna. You know, do you guys know what that means? No? Do you guys ever see Pollyanna? was always happy. And everything was always good. And she comes up and she says, it's spring and so many beautiful things are springing up and all I see is a bunch of weeds. I got so many weeds coming up my house. I got weeds growing inside of weeds. Weeds. Oh, my goodness. We need to. So you want some problems. I'll give you some problems. I got lots of weeds. You can, I'll share mine with you. But he's saying to him, look, don't worry about them for good or ill. Don't worry about others. Don't worry about others. You follow me. Will you follow me? He's okay. You, it says from the mouth of babes, he has perfected praise. It's all right. He You follow me. That's what he's calling them to, right? So that's the call for us, guys. It's the same call for us. That the the attitude from our heart would be, I'm following him. Not following him if my life is as good as Corey's. Or if if Corey might say, if his life was as good as mine. Or somebody else might say, well, I don't know. I was following the Lord better. My my life was harder than that guy's. But that wasn't the question. Jesus didn't say, come follow me and I'll make everything in your life the same as somebody else. What did he say? Come follow me. Just Come, follow me. That's the call. This is a personal relationship God calls us to, right? Resurrection day, man. What a beautiful day. Jesus rose from the, from the dead. Death is destroyed. The enemy is wiped out. Now, what can man do to me? The worst thing a man can do to me is put me in the presence of my king. It has no power over us anymore. But the call from Jesus is a personal call, not a corporate call. It's a personal call. You, come follow me. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. There's something that you fit into. And it's good. And it's glorious. And whatever he's called you into, he'll equip you to do. Just like he did Peter. Peter, I'll give you what you need to finish the race. For me, the best, one of the best things you could say about somebody is, these all died in faith, right? What's that mean? They finished the race. They kept the faith. That's what Paul describes, how Paul describes his life, how Peter describes his life. And that's how I want to describe my life. And I hope that's how you want to describe your life. Amen?
Won't you stand with me? Let's pray.